0: Welcome back to System Ministry, the podcast where we engage in heavy petting zoo activities. This is Brent.
1: I have a goat named Humphrey. <laughs> and that's Jathon.
0: We do not actually engage in any sort of bestiality or zoophilia or so on and so forth.
1: I'm pretty sure this is but... the first time one of our intros has ever had a disclaimer. <laughs> a disclaimer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, normally I'd just blow past and be like, eh, they'll figure it out. No, we aren't into that, but we were literally talking about it like two seconds before we started recording.
1: Oh, I didn't tell you. I think I saw a furry on Halloween. Like dressed up for Halloween? That's what I'm not sure of. I thought it was a costume, but I'm pretty sure like it was a legit furry.
0: I feel like if it's a fursuit... And they're doing it for Halloween. It's not actually a fursuit. It's a costume at that point. It's not a... You know what I mean? Like, it's not a real furry. Hmm. Well, I don't but know. But I whatever. guess you could... I, I mean, I guess you can kind of make the same case for, like, mascots, right? Probably. Because they don't wear their suits on Halloween. but They wear it a bunch of times during the rest of the year. Does that make... Are, are mascots furries? Are the people who portray mascots furries? I think it furries? depends
1: what they do in the costume. <laughs> I guess so.
0: Also, choo-choo. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's... I don't think I know any... No, I do. I do. Definitely know some furries, come to think. Yeah, so in case you haven't noticed, Peyton is not with us again this time.
1: I thought he was being really quiet.
0: (laughs) No, you know he wasn't here. Oh. Don't be silly. He is not with us. Not like he died, but like <laughs> he was just busy.
1: <laughs> we regret to inform you that perhaps some people who used to be on this show are now no longer on the show because they have died. They're they are no longer with us. Humphrey no, the he's... goat is done for. <laughs>
0: Humphrey the goat.
1: It's because I live on top of a mountain, apparently.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. No, so Peyton is taking care of his newborn child. So he's doing his own thing, and that's totally cool. You know, children take a lot of time and energy and sometimes you don't have time for the podcast so that's totally understandable
1: this is i'm still getting like season zero vibes are you no because the audio is not bad enough <laughs> the, also the audio it's, was pretty it's still bad. a consistent night and time and oh true it was There's like, a lot hey, of reasons to why tonight. that season was not good
0: Though no, we had we had good topics though yeah we did the content was great the delivery the delivery was yeah. not so the, in, in logistics and stuff. That was not so good. Oh man, that was back on our old site. Do you remember our old site?
1: Yeah, the good old. Sucking, no, that was uh, terrible. Words are hard. I just it sneezed was... a lot. <laughs> good It'll probably you. get cut out, but I sneezed and then I tried to talk and it didn't work.
0: <laughs> what, sneezing rebooted your brain or something? Yeah, it hit the front of my head too hard. <laughs> that's true. You do. You are like, every time you sneeze, you almost give yourself a concussion. I don't think that's true. It is. I don't it's, think it is. Sneezing is very traumatic to the human human head. Wow. All right.
1: Anyway, what are you drinking?
0: Well, I just took a sip of chai, but I also have...
1: Wait, maybe if you're could... supposed to do topics first. Oh, that's right. Yeah. God, so this really fucks us everything. It does. It does. It, it throws us Hayden. off so badly. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, we. I think we have a good show tonight. We have... <laughs> uh, what? Well, of course you do, you pretentious dick. No, there are times when it's like filler, and it's obvious that it's filler. I'm like... I have my doubts about this episode, you know? Like, I, I, it's just, it's a chore at that point. Like the yum episode. No, yeah. It, well, it was half filler. I it
1: turned say. into a good episode. It turned into,
0: a, yeah, we'll put it that way. It, yeah, I all was right, not but anyway. looking forward to it, but it turned out to be a good episode. Good episode. No, this is, I'm, I'm stoked about this from the beginning. I think it, these are good topics.
1: Oh, that makes one of us.
0: I, <laughs> excuse you, sir. So we had a listener named Sasha comment on S3E15. I don't know if you knew this, but you can comment directly on our show notes. I have to approve them to publish them, but you can comment on them directly. Most of the time, if they weren't a reply, I will be the one to reply. Yeah, so we had a listener chime in, and they, I think they may have gotten a little bit confused as to what we were actually talking about in that episode, which, to be fair, it was we were kind of all over the place in that episode, right? But they mentioned that they wanted to hear more about the differences between like groups, group memberships, and stuff like that, versus controlling access with sudo or sudo rather i always say sudo it's it's technically sudo
1: too but it's supposed to be sudo like s-u-do yeah i get it i know
0: but i you know what i'm just gonna call it moratorium now on this show we will always say sudo but yeah. you will I don't understand know what it says, to be you honest. will understand it to be sudo how about that there you go okay i like sudo better anyways because it sounds like p-s-e-u-d-o which means you've got sudo root but it's yeah. not just root it's yeah, I mean you could pseudo to another user. I'm getting off topic. Anyways, so we'll be talking about different ways of privilege separation. Not just via groups and pseudo, but a whole bunch of other things as well. Why you would want to do that, particularly how, different ways of how you can do that. And I think that's the topic we surprisingly haven't really gone too in depth. It's always at like the tip of our tongue when we talk about this kind of stuff, but it's we never well,
1: delve into it. We talk about it with regards to specific things, so like Yes yeah s3e3 which is called ranting lunatics we talked about it a little bit with regards to python applications
0: mm-hmm. and there's been uh, at and least two about, other episodes yeah we yeah. talked about like uh, S-E Linux uh, we'll, and shit like that yeah we'll talk more about that when we get to that section but for now as you
1: have dutifully reminded me Jathan, what are you drinking i am drinking mictor's american unblended whiskey I have Wonderful. not had it before, but I've heard really good things. I finally found a bottle. It's pretty hard to find right now, at least huh. here. It's okay. I was a little underwhelmed. I guess I was so excited because I heard so many good things. And then when I took a sip, I was like, eh, it's not bad. I'd buy it again. Hmm. You'd buy that for a dollar. No, I'd buy it at normal price. <laughs> what What is normal price, j
0: Like 40 bucks. Well, exactly. So you would buy it for a dollar. That's what the euphemism means. Like, you would be willing to depart of a dollar for it, regardless of the true cost of the thing. Yes. Okay, there you go. That's, there you go. All right, anyway, <laughs> yeah. moving on. What are you drinking? I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking another, oh, I really hope I'm pronounced this right. Bromblasta? Brenblasta? It sounds like a character out of Mario. No, it's, it, it does, doesn't it? No, it, it's Gaelic, so I don't know quite how to pronounce it, because while I am partially Irish, I have not. Grown up in the country, nor have I been to it, nor do I speak Gaelic. So I have no idea if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But I was, I did link to it before in the show. I like it. I like it a lot. It's a very hmm. dark, dark ale. Maybe I'll have to find some. Try it out. Well, so it's, it's by the Porterhouse Brewery Company. Oh. And they're in Ireland. Yes. This literally is from Ireland. I have maybe f- only four left or so, which is a shame because I don't know if it's imported at all. Well, I'll let you know if I find it. Okay.
1: Well, that won't do me a lick of good because you're in Colorado. But That's correct. But I can talk to you about how good it is while I'm going <laughs> to eat. And you could either be sad or you could be happy for me. I could do that. Or I could just ignore you. But point being, I think it
0: is my new favorite beer. And it's a shame that it's... I don't even think it's imported. I'd have If someone out there knows, please hop on our IRC channel or whatever and let me know if it is imported anywhere on the East Coast. Because I, I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. And I'm part of myself, you know, since it's a true Irish beer, it does have the ring pull-off
1: cap. Oh, yeah.
0: I managed to get it off this time. Last time I had some issues and I had to basically surgically remove it with a knife. But this time I got it off in, in one go. So I'm happy about that. I did not have my experience ruined. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Woo! All right. Woo! So, j I believe you are going to be entirely handling the baddies for us this episode. Is that correct?
1: Well, I always handy the baddie, handle the baddie. I'm gonna be handling the news, though.
0: The, the news is what I meant. Yeah, yeah.
1: I haven't even started drinking yet. This is bad. Yes, this is bad. I'm also like fumbling over my words, so I don't know what's <laughs> going on. I Maybe mean, we were just dumb this week. But anyway, it's a season change. Couple of news items here. Do 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 do. Whatever the fuck Hayden does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Number one. Today we're recording Wednesday, November 7th. Yesterday midterm elections. Mm -hmm. Voting machine manual instructed election officials to use weak passwords. Mm -hmm. An election security expert who's done risk assessments in several states since 2016 recently found a reference manual that appears to have been created by one of the vendors for county election officials, and it lists critical usernames and passwords for the tabulation system. The passwords, including a system administrator and root password, are trivial and easy to crack. Lovely. One is derived from the vendor's name itself. Although the document indicates that customers will be prompted periodically to change it, it instructs them to reuse passwords in some cases and potentially use weak passwords. If does you
0: it, Does it give the name of the contractor? Because I feel like that's Matt Blaze. Because he does nothing but bitch and moan about voting.
1: Yeah. Um, these days. His name does not appear in the article. Okay. That doesn't well, mean it's it's him or not. <laughs> right. Can't confirm or deny. I... But... Oh, oh. Harry Hursty.
0: Oh, that's not a name I'm familiar with. Founder
1: but. of Nordic Innovation Labs and a longtime election security expert. Yeah, doesn't ring a bell. I'm sure in my, any case
0: our infosec friends. Why is listening? this newsworthy? Yes. Primarily
1: because elections are a big deal. Yesterday were midterms. And if you're writing fucking documentation, mm-hmm. help your users make good choices. Yeah, I can get behind encourage that. Encourage them to, and not just encourage, force them to make a strong password. Yeah. Goddamn.
0: Yeah, what I can't figure out is, like, yeah, I understand these things have, are, like, mid, like limited resources, right? It really is not hard to measure the strength of a password with a really small well, library. there's lots
1: of libraries that already do it, so you don't right. have to write one.
0: Yeah, so I'm saying, and they're small, right? There's yes. plenty of room on them on there's these embedded probably, devices. Yeah. But further, you should really make these devices inoperable until the password passes that security check. Now... That's a double-edged sword, though, right? Because what is someone who made a complex password but can't remember it going to do?
1: There should be a way to reset it, but the vendor might have to get involved or
0: something. No, 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 no. no. You, yeah, no, absolutely. You should be able to reset it on premise and stuff, whether you need to call it in or not. But what is a person, they just set, the average joke, they just set a password that matches the complexity requirements, but it's stronger than what they would normally do. They just did that on a device because it won't work unless they make it
1: a certain amount of secure. Oh, they're what probably they going to write do? it down.
0: Absolutely.
1: Or email it to themselves or some shit.
0: Right. And that's a terrible idea. So- yeah, Okay. I, I understand
1: it. why they don't do that, but... Yeah, but it's... It, yeah, it goes both ways, right? They're both... It goes both they're ways. They're both bad. It's a hard question to answer. Yes. Yeah. And we've talked about that before, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so, number two. Iron App Crypto, I don't know if you've heard of it, but... Mm-mm. ...is frequently touted by Edward Snowden as being better than PGP in terms of its encryption. Well, that's for sending messages on mobile devices. It only does text, no images, none of that bullshit, no bells and whistles. Well... well. Fun fact, somewhere in the Netherlands, they basically were able to decrypt more than 258,000 messages using the app. The app itself is not free. You pay quite a bit to use it. So that's a bummer. Jason,
0: remind me how many, uh, how much content has been forcibly decrypted through brute force, whatever with PGP? To my
1: knowledge, none. Well, there you go. Unless would you do something you. stupid, like tie right. your PGP key to your face ID and use your iPhone or something,
0: or use a weak password, right? But you can say but, that but about everything. There's not
1: a flaw in PGP itself, right? Right. The and closest thing also we've free. seen is the vulnerability that was specific to email, and it had to do with email clients publishing like PGP. It was keys it was like the something. length of contents from a, yeah. yeah yeah. I don't know.
0: It was a constricted set of requirements. Yes in any
1: case iron chat but pgp
0: itself as the protocol you know as implemented strictly by canoe pg or gpg is totally fine and it does not suffer it has track record has not
1: experienced something like this right mm-hmm. okay just wanted to get Again, that to out for the best there. of my knowledge nothing known about like this yeah in any case if you use iron chat be aware of this if you don't use iron chat probably don't buy iron chat
0: <laughs> maybe just don't use it at all If you do use it, stop using it.
1: Yes. Number three, researchers have found flaws that can be exploited to bypass hardware encryption in well-known and popular SSD drives. (laughs) Master passwords and faulty standards implementations allow attackers access to encrypted data without needing to know the user-chosen password. SSDs specifically from Micron or Crucial and Samsung are affected.
0: Crucial Basically, Samsung, it's hardware-level
1: encryption via a local built-in chip, separate from the main mm-hmm. CPU. Some of them have a factory-set master password that bypasses the user-set password. And <laughs> other SSDs <laughs> store <laughs> the encryption key on the drive itself from where it can be retrieved. Oh. The issue gets worse on Windows, where BitLocker defers software-level encryption to hardware-encryption-capable SSDs. Yep. So even if you don't choose to necessarily do that windows does it for you yep there is a link to the research paper in the slash dot article that we'll post read more about it especially if you use windows i might not
0: usually in these cases i just link directly to the source i don't even Okay well then we'll to the link to the but research you, paper you
1: will be able to get to that paper it's yeah. probably not in english Oh, I and it's download that. only, so I'm not opening that. Right, it's a well, PDF draft I'll, paper one.pdf to be exact. <laughs> oh, the file name—it's just not a draft. Everybody, maybe we should hold the. No, well, I mean that's just because <laughs> no. it hasn't
0: been peer reviewed. yet. Yeah, it's but... fine. It's
1: fine. It's totally yeah. Fine. Last but not least, for news, and we might talk about this in a little bit. Mm-hmm. IBM is acquiring Red Hat. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. If you use has, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, you have any Red Hat certifications? You use Ansible or other Red Hat products? What mm-hmm. else are they back? KVM at this point. OGS. Oh, yeah. IBM they, is buying Red Hat for approximately $34 billion, assuming that gets approved, which it probably will. Why is this good or bad, or why is it even newsworthy? Well, Red Hat is a huge company, and we can all say, you know, probably a couple of bad things about them. But in my experience, Red Hat are really, really good team players. Like, they do a lot of open source work. They obviously.
0: There is a reason they have
1: essentially
0: a virtual monopoly on enterprise Linux. And I know Canonical has enterprise Linux, but nine times out of 10, it's going to be a rel box or a CentOS box.
1: Yeah. In any case, my concern here, I don't have a specific source for this one. It's been all over. So we'll link to a couple maybe, but Mm -hmm. my concern is really just the culture at red hat is always like, let's open source this. Let's give back to the community because they give back to us. And you know, I have never really seen that type of cooperation from IBM especially if you start to look at their sort of commercial cloud applications and stuff like yeah. that, they're pretty pretty secretive about what they do. So I would just hope that in this acquisition, they keep the two facets of their sort of business pretty separate and Red Hat continues to exist and be a, let's just say, be at the forefront of open source development and continues to encourage the spirit yeah. of open source. So I I mean, it's not unheard of for IBM to
0: promote open source i mean they were a big pusher of linux itself in the enterprise environment for a long time yeah and they do do some things like release enmon oh yeah although i think enmon is i think it's maintained by one of their employees but they still host it i think it's one of those kind of things but they still like they're not like no get your own hosting kit you know like they are willing to put their name on it at the very least right stuff like that so they're not This isn't an Oracle taking over my sequel thing, you know?
1: So far as we can tell.
0: So far as we can tell, yeah. That's my prediction, I'll say. I think a lot of people are getting super upset about this for zero reasons, as they are wont to do, as they typically do. But you're right. I mean, it is a big deal. It is... I mean, first of all, that price tag, right? Yeah. I first saw... I was like, oh, $3.4 billion, and then I read it again. And I was like, oh, that is... There is no yeah. decimal point there. Let me look to make sure this wasn't a typo. Sure yeah. enough, every place has 34 billion dollars. That is a
1: lot of money. I would never have valued Red Hat as that high. But yeah. well, I mean, I don't know. They have their hands in a lot of shit. It's a big company. It's true. That's true. I don't
0: know. I personally am not too worried because for the you know, even if they do lessen their support for open source. The previous code has still been open source and it can't be revoked. You know, like once you release something in open source, that's it. That's it's done. You yeah, know, right. once you publish it under an open source license and someone grabs it, you cannot demand, Hey, you need to delete that. I'm um, license. you can't do that with open source, you know? Right, right, right. Makes sense. I mean, functionally, I don't know how you would even, I don't know how you would do that legally, but anyways, so even if they move away from that, I'm not too worried about, it because as I said, like you can always fork these projects and My prediction is, since they are already heavily entrenched in the Enterprise environment, something better would even come along. Like MySQL versus Maria, right? Right. MariaDB is awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's a drop-in replacement for MySQL. And it can do things MySQL- has had bugs about for ages, you know? Right. It's a beautiful re-implementation of it that is still binary compatible. And my prediction is, for the really serious stuff in CentOS slash Red Hat that you would miss, you're going to see an even better implementation of it if it goes away. Yeah. Kind of like when we bombed Nagasaki and they were built, and now, like, Tokyo and Nagasaki and are, like, industry leaders. They're super modernized. Did you know that? Like, that's one of the going theories as to why... Japan is so modernized in terms of technology is because they were they basically had to start all over and they got a ton of assistance to do it. No. I'm not saying it's good that we bombed them, but I'm saying like as a result of a bad thing, you got a very good thing. Okay. I'm not advocating to bomb countries, J-thon.
1: I didn't say that. I'm just <laughs> I'm just chilling, man. Okay. I'm trying right. to be zen. Isn't I'm that trying, what you always tell me to do? I'm tra- yeah,
0: I, I You're always it trying is, to tell me to be zen. True. I'm just
1: sitting here trying to be fucking I tell zen. You to and you're like I'm not advocating for this. Why are you why are you accusing me? I'm just sitting here.
0: I can tell by your, your silence is very you accusatory. Un-zen bitch. <laughs> <laughs> can we spot root squared is... or square root is also an unzen
1: bitch. <laughs> can we do that? <laughs> you do whatever you want, man.
0: I'm gonna forget to do it in in like 30 minutes. But I bet you when I'm typing up the notes for this, I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna hear it and I'm be like, oh yeah, I never did that, and I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Anyways, my point being yeah, like, I'm a little bit shocked at this, and not my favorite thing to happen this month. Or I guess that was last month, technically, right? Not my favorite thing to happen. But I am not doom and gloom about it. I'm actually a little bit optimistic about it, because I think it's a win-win at the end of the day. What are you talking about? IBM buying Red Hat. Not oh, bombing you're... Japan. I'm, you're I'm not making about... a lot of sense right now, man. I'm making plenty sense! No, I don't think anybody knew you went back to that. I brought up the Japan being bombed thing as an illustration of how bad things can come from, or how good things can come from bad things.
1: Right, right. Okay, whatever. Let's move on to the damn episode. <laughs> okay. This has been Jathan. What with I'm the trying news. to say is IBM is the US, and
0: Japan I understand. Is Just red shut hat. up and move on. Okay. <laughs> the stock market is the atom bomb, Jathan. No. Yes. That's a terrible, just stop it. <laughs>
1: okay, alright, we're gonna move on. Move on, yeah. Did, are we damn. done with the news? We are now. Okay, okay. that was the last I, news item? It was actually the last news item, yes. Okay,
0: that's why I went on such an off-topic joust. Uh, joust,
1: nope, <laughs> doesn't work. That's a joust. Control
0: Z. <laughs> you mean Control D? No, Control Z. Control C? Undo. Oh, Undo. It's like Control D is you know like line end. Control C is process terminate. I will control- line end you too. Control and Z, you.
1: Control process Z, terminate would you. Suspend me. Kill nine Bront. <laughs>
0: kill- no, that'd be kill all nine Bront. Kill nine Bront would not do anything. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. P kill dash u Bront.
1: <laughs> Got him. Well, what, wait, am I a process or a user? I refuse to comment yeah, on okay, the state oh, of okay. your being. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. Do you want to talk about privilege separation? Yes, or do please. You want let's to talk... move on to that. And let's or do you not... want to talk more about the economic developments of Japan post-bombing? No. We're done with that. <laughs> we, we're done with that? Yeah. Look, all I'm saying is if a country Shut gets bombed... Shut okay. So, last right,
1: episode fine. we had talked very briefly about Docker. Mm-hmm. Or, or mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. Not last episode. The s 3 15 S3E15. Yes. Yeah, sorry. And there exists this sort of phenomenon on Linux where... When you install Docker, Mm -hmm. you can either make users type sudo docker run or, you know, whatever Docker command they're trying to execute, Mm -hmm. or you can create a privileged Docker group and you can add users to that group and they don't have to use sudo anymore.
0: But per S3E15, you should not do that.
1: Yes. Don't do that. You can and should not do that. (laughs) Right. So Sasha, I'm assuming I'm saying that correctly because Brent says that I am. It's absolutely Sasha. Has basically said, I'm pretty interested in the talk about putting a user into a group versus allowing a user with pseudo, not specifically related to the Docker case. Right. Is there a comparison about pros and cons about both solutions? I'd like to know more about this topic. So to be totally clear, you cannot simply create a group for all types of operations like this. Yeah. So while we can talk a little bit about what you're asking us, Sasha, the situation that you mentioned does not apply outside of Docker, really. Well. Can you think of other examples? Yeah, MySQL. Yeah, MySQL is one. I mean, you could talk about, like, the wheel group.
0: Wheel group, which is basically that for everything, yeah. Yeah, Postfix so with the mail group. Yeah. Or, or you know, depending on distro, it might be made postfix, So
1: let's talk about this first in the context of Docker. Yeah. Which I know that's not what you're asking, but let's talk about it because that's where it came from. Sure. So why is it a bad idea to use the Docker group instead of sudo? Well, primarily because when you put somebody in the Docker group, they have unrestricted access without a password. And no audit trail. And no audit trail, right? Pseudo logs every attempt at using sudo, and also every successful authentication with sudo. If Mm -hmm. you tell it to, you can even—I mean—you can get really. You get a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. On top of that, you can require a password every time someone uses sudo. Which, Mm -hmm. while it is a pain in the ass, and I fully acknowledge that, it is the best way to do things. You should be doing that, right? Yep. For a couple of reasons. I mean, as simple as if you leave your laptop sitting in a fucking coffee shop. You're shelled into a server at work, and you're logged in. If somebody tries to, you know, sudo rmrf slash... Mm-hmm. That... Well, number one,
0: it won't work, thankfully. Right, right, right. Okay. But you. But define... if you want to see, you know, if you get like a, a ding
1: saying someone tried it... Right. But on top of that, yeah. it's going to ask them for a password. So, mm-hmm. yes, they still have access to your system because you left your laptop out like a dumbass, but they <laughs> cannot run commands, even Docker, right, because mm-hmm. you're not in the Docker group, Right. without knowing your password... And also, it's pretty common to just give sort of unrequited access. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly. Unrequited? No, you're not. With sudo, and just say, you can run any command with sudo for this user. That is great because it's convenient, but really, you should only be giving users access to the commands that they actually need to run as a privileged user with sudo. I'll be the first to admit on my personal machines, I just sudo-u. And then yeah, so, just do a root so do I. <laughs> it's so much easier. No, 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 I totally do. But but but, but I also understand the risks of doing that, and I'm okay with right. that for right. like my own stuff. I don't do that at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do it personally. Yep. So I'm going to let you take over a little bit. Let's talk about the wheel group on Gentoo. Let's talk about the wheel group on Gentoo. I don't. Let's just talk about the wheel group. I. So here's the thing. Back when I used Gentoo, which was so the same is... time I used Gentoo.
0: Right. I stopped a little bit. Before... I switched to Arch a little bit before you did, but it was roughly the same time. That is true. And I you kept was... telling me to switch,
1: and I was holding on to Gentoo like it was my life.
0: And I did that with Gentoo too when I first started using Gentoo. You basically just follow me which, to wherever, whichever distro I
1: hopped to. That was true with two distros. Th- yeah, that's true. But before that, we used totally different ones.
0: What do we? What did we do before that? You used I Ubuntu. used Ubuntu. I what did I use?
1: And then for a little while, I was packaging for Foresight, so I used that. <laughs> foresight, I remember Foresight.
0: <laughs> Rip. Press F to pay respects, J-Thon. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not gonna go to it. We've talked about that multiple
1: times. So I'm not sure. gonna go down that history road. But I, I, mostly, I don't want to get away. I want to make sure we answer Sasha's question because no, he yeah, took the time.
0: We're, we're gonna take this entire episode, this entire discussion segment to talk about it. But Is I'm he, talking specifically about. He's gonna about get pseudo versus versus group. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, that's part of it. So you I'm can.
1: Saying he's gonna get more information that he, w- he for wanted. some reason sasha on certain distros yes there is a group that is automatically created i mean most distros probably even arch i don't know actually not arch not arch okay called wheel yeah and the default behavior for some of these distros is that anybody in the wheel group can use sudo to run any command yeah without a password yeah, so Which the is, wheel group itself is it's the is equivalent a, of the Docker group, but for everything.
0: For the system wide, right. Now, it's a throwback to tr- more traditional Unix, and the BSDs still use the wheel group. You have to be in the wheel group. And too, you can so you still use it, use it
1: pretty easily pure. on Linux.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's even a Pam policy distributed with Pam. You know, is you edit literally one line and it, it does it. you boom, you're instantly at like free BSD behavior for sudo and the wheel group thereof. So it's pretty easy to switch between the two. I am not so much a fan of it. Like I understand the, I, I understand the benefit of it, but I feel like a lot of the I don't. hype of it is. What is the benefit? So it's just an extra level. So on some systems, specifically in the BSD implementations out of the wheel group, you have to be in the wheel group to run sudo, Period. Got it. So whether like, it's unquestionably, yeah. But the default policy is no password or no. No, you would still need to provide your password, and it would still be ACL check. But you will not be able to run. Okay, so you just don't SU have to modify without being in the wood group at all. Etsy pseudoverse. No, no, you you would still need to edit it. I'm saying as an added check, you know, you would have to be in that group. Okay, kind of like you know how in like allow groups for SSH. Or,
1: yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. In SSH, there's allow groups. It, like the authentication is totally separate from that directive. You know. Yeah. So it's, Which it's I like use, that. by the
1: way. I know you it, don't. You
0: should. It's a, no, I, I do. It's a good habit to get into, for sure. Yeah. I do. I do use it now. And I believe I set it up. Mm-mm. Oh, I don't for SSH secure? Because mm-hmm. I manually do that now. Mm-hmm. But if you oh, made that right. change, because I would it, it, it's, it. yeah, it's in there. It's just commented out. Maybe it should be a flag. Yeah, maybe I'll make it a flag. Yeah. That's a good call. So I'll do that in the future. So, anyways, all that to say with the wheel group, Ninety-nine percent of the time, it's not going to be relevant to the enterprise Linux environment. RHEL does not, and you know, by extension, CentOS does not use the wheel group. I believe Debian does not as well. By and those default, are going to be, it doesn't. Yeah, by default. And those are going to be your two key enterprise Linux distributions. I mean, there's also SUSE, and I can't speak to that. And which is that's why I wish I Payton was here with us tonight because he would know. He his company uses SUSE. But I haven't touched it in a while, so I yeah. don't know. I'll spin up a VM for the show notes, so I'll put it in the errata if it does or does not make use of the wheel group mechanism. But, to my knowledge, it also does not. So usually, like, yeah, nine times out of ten, the chances, unless you're using Linux as a personal machine, as, a like, some kind of hobby distro or hardened distro, you're not going to be using the wheel mechanism. Right. But it is an option. Now, and again, like, that's very Linux-centric of us to say, but Whatever. We're talking Linux here anyways. So, I want to talk. I really want to spend an entire episode on Sudo, but we're not going to do that tonight.
1: I think we might have.
0: No, we're not. We're only 33 minutes. I think we might
1: have done it.
0: Oh, no, I looked. Oh, I searched. We did not do an entire episode on Sudo. It it definitely warrants one. We've mentioned like, we've linked to talks about it here and there, but it definitely warrants a whole episode. It's a very flexible, impressive piece of software. But, I'm gonna put sudo aside a sec and go back to the groups. I'm done with wheel group because it's it's really not relevant to most implementations for Linux in the business realm. We're talking about groups in terms of giving certain users access to certain resources based on using the system permissions, right? That's ultimately what the group mechanism is for, right? Yeah. Okay. In this case, I mean, yeah, we're not going to talk about like things like SUID and SGID and stuff like that either. But for this discussion, groups is a way of monkey... I would almost say monkey-patching your system permissions to allow a user to do something. If you're too lazy to set up sudo to do it properly, you use groups. Now, what does this look like, right? This normally looks like a regular user, say, being in the MySQL group. And this would allow them to run, for instance... MySQL check, right? Yes. In which case they wouldn't... Or is SQL sequ- No, not MySQL check. That's the one that, that uses direct database access. What's the one that goes against the files of the... My, my, is that MyISAM check? Is that uh, what I'm thinking of? I don't know. There's one that operates against the literal files of the database versus the database and tables data. I think it's MyISAM check I'm thinking of. Anyways, they would be able to run analysis and backup and such files for MySQL, the raw table files. Now, this also means they would typically have write access because they're in the MySQL group to these files. So that'd be a bad thing. But you also need write access to fix errors. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that. The other example I can think of, sometimes it's necessary, right? Like if you're using DoveCot and PostFix and you're using like Mailder. Yeah, right. Yeah, the perms, you need to make sure the permissions on the mail spool, not the mail spools, the mailboxes files match up. If That's like
1: yeah. Right. That seems like a lesser deal to me though.
0: Yeah, because it's all there's still system user accounts, but the, the end result is sort of the same thing. If somehow one of those pieces of software is has a flaw. Yeah. And it's discovered that there's a remote code execution flaw in them. Yeah. And this code was un, unrestricted access, basically. Full system level access. At that point you've boned not one service, but two. Right. I mean, in this case, yeah, if Postfix goes down, Dovecot's probably going down with it, and and vice versa, because, you know, they're kind of pointless without each other. But if they're running on the same box...
1: (laughs) That's not entirely true, but okay.
0: Sort of it. I mean, yeah, you can... If Postfix goes down, you can still queue up mail to send with Dovecat. Well, no, actually, I don't don't think it'll... It depends on your configuration. But if Dovecot goes down, you can still receive mail through Postfix and stuff like that. Yeah, so I get your point. But my point is, mostly speaking, the purpose of mail... As like an MDA slash MTA combination box. If one goes down, the other one's probably going down with it in terms of purpose. Sure. Okay, moving on. So sometimes it is necessary. Typically, it's going to be with system accounts. You don't want to do this with user accounts because, number one, SSH keys can be compromised because people do stupid things with them. Passwords can be compromised because people do stupid things with them. (laughs) You know, anything where you have... Automatically, by default, have that remote access or that interactive access enabled. There's a potential for abuse there. Yeah, and not even like abuse from the intended operator. It could be stolen credentials, things like that, or they could just be an idiot. There have been times where you need to idiot-proof a server. You know, like it
1: doesn't. If you're doesn't giving it to a developer, you, but... you should idiot-proof it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna agree with that. You should. that's you should definitely mostly a joke. This stuff.
0: I don't think it's a joke. It's a,
1: <laughs> I, at developers for sure.
0: But. You know, I, I think we can both agree that, like, you need to idiot-proof from developers. We've both been bit by that, I think. I'm still getting bit by that. Okay, well, that's <laughs> that's my point. That's yeah. my, so it is necessary. So don't do it with groups. Pseudo is the right answer here. Well, I would say one of the Most right places. Most places. If you're it, unsure, yeah, you should default to using pseudo. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it, even then, it's one of the right answers. With a fucking right. password. We've got two other... Right, with a password... And did you know sudo has inbuilt groups in that you can add add users to like role based groups, Mm -hmm. or you can apply sudo to groups. The configuration is extremely flexible. Super flexible, which is why I want to spend an entire episode on it so we can really break down and cover. I think we should do an episode and also
1: talk about we should put together like a few sample configurations of some like acceptable configurations that enable certain situations to work well sure yeah sure and you know but, what in there yeah. just because we're talking about this i'll even include what the fuck you should do for fucking docker well
0: <laughs> sure as a bonus do you use the uh pseudors.d directory personally yes it's at awesome.
1: work because i use puppet i have a or a or whatever AGS. and there's a lens for the pseudors file so i just use puppet to the sudoers
0: file or pseudors.d directory
1: the sudoers file. Okay. So that is how I do. I do everything in the pseudor's file with Puppet at work. That strikes me as backwards, though. I you don't understand. need to use OGS
0: for it, right? Because you can just add and remove files.
1: But it's much mm-hmm. easier to just use OGS because there's already functionality to do that.
0: How is... Yeah, but you're already doing it in Puppet. You just add or remove a templated file.
1: Right, but then I have to create I've a template, if, whereas no, the OGS bits that's are like already five there. Lines. My it's like
0: five lines. I'm going to kill you. Shut up. Whatever. Five lines for a robust pseudos file, I should say. Okay. For a, ro- okay. a robust pseudos that somebody put a fucking point sock being. In his mouth. Oh my god! <laughs> no, no, no. Point he's being, never shut no no no, 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 shut, I'm, I'm, I'm shutting up now. Pseudo is awesome. <laughs> is my point. It I'm is shutting up now. Keeps let's talking. You do, <laughs> shut up. It's, it's awesome <laughs> though. It lets you. It's very flexible. It lets you implement this sort of. If you're lazy, it'll work for that too. You need to spend like 15 minutes getting your group roles set up. And then after that you can just add them to a group and it's still handled through sudo which is the ideal way to do it ideally you should be doing more fine-grained stuff like per user but whatever you know there's a lot of things to be said about sudo which is why i don't want to get too much into it okay because there are a lot of other things you can do for privilege separation Jaython. yeah are you can ask me like what oh oh like what well, I'm glad you asked. So, <laughs> primarily virtual environments, which is, well, not nah, I wouldn't say primarily, but that is another thing, as you mentioned, in S3E3, that is another way of doing this. Now, it is software-specific. Python, obviously, because that's what we spent the entire episode talking about, does implement it. Can Ruby, implement it. Can implement it. Yeah, that's. thank you for that distinction. That is true. Can implement it. Ruby has a version. There's... I found this the other day for you. What was it? Ruby Version Manager? No. RVM? I was like,
1: oh, RVM, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's... Ruby version manager.
0: RVM, basically the same thing as virtualenv, but for Ruby. Or venv, I should say, since Python implemented standard lib now. So it's basically the same thing, but for Ruby, slash Ruby on Rails. I would imagine other parsed languages have the same thing. Go obviously doesn't, C obviously doesn't. But, you know, that's just a risk you have to take, I guess, with that. But that depends a lot on developer knowledge rather than... The admin's knowledge, you know? Like yep. that's I would the agree with the
1: developer to segregate. Yeah. So well, maybe... in any case, it should be both, right? Developers should mm. be developing things in a way that it is most secure or as secure as it can be. Security is something they're thinking about. Yeah. Yes. And as an admin, when you're deploying any fucking program, code, web application, blah, blah, whatever the fuck bullshit. You need to account for you the should, fact that you maybe the developer much, did not think about security. Uh, yeah, you should do as much privilege <laughs> escalation, yes, prevention, as feasible. checking, yeah. blah, blah, also bullshit that you can. Yeah, exactly. I would agree with that. I'm pretty good at making sentences right now. <laughs> sure. That is what I would say if one were to ask. Yeah, so this is basically, I guess we can define this as sandboxing, right? Sandboxing is good. Yeah. Which does not mean stick your fucking web application in a container, by the way. <laughs> right. That's not
0: coin sandboxing. But it's, you know, a certain form of jailing, but without actually talking about jails. My favorite method, and I know this is what God is arguing on S3E3 in the first place, is VMs. I prefer VMs because there's, it is much, 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 much harder for any sort of escalation to escape, escape rather. Beyond the bounds of that VM.
1: Well, you you are literally not at the disposition of the fucking kernel. Mm-hmm. You're He's at the disposition of kernel. the kernel, and then on top of that, the hypervisor. Mm-hmm. So hypervisor, yeah, and you can even place additional
0: constraints on the hypervisor from the host yeah so you've got multiple levels of protection there you've got like the app security you can even run that pseudo permissions inside the vm you've got i understand it's very flexible. why people
1: do the container yeah. thing i don't just so we're clear but somebody if anyone ever says containers are as secure as a vm they're fucking lying they're not they're absolutely not they're i think just we, not i think We've probably not about this as much as you and i disagree we both agree on that yeah it's, the only reason i like containers is for distributing software Right. And that's because I work with a bunch of fucking scientists, <laughs> right? Right. If I were distributing software to administrators and shit, I wouldn't use containers for that either.
0: Well, I'm saying like this is what Vagrant is for, is so you could still distribute VM builds yeah. with Vagrant. Yeah, that'd be a
1: good talk one day. There. We should talk about yeah,
0: Vagrant with a VM backend. I guess it'd be VirtualBox since it's the only cross-platform. But yeah, yeah, we yeah. can talk about that yeah we'll talk about that in future sure so i definitely prefer vms where available obviously due to resource constraints and stuff not always going to be possible but i think it's what you should strive for because that is the most privileged separation you can get without buying different physical boxes for everything yeah and we're going to talk about that in just a second after i bring up ch roots and jails again
1: oh ch roots known broken now right There are methods to break it, yes,
0: but there are ways to mitigate that brokenness.
1: So, okay, at some point in time, it was like a fairly common practice in industry to run NGINX in a CH Mm root.
0: Are
1: -hmm. people still doing that? You can. I don't think
0: you would really benefit much from it since it drops privileges now.
1: Yeah. Was that not the default behavior previously?
0: Not. In very early versions, it wasn't. Uh And I think that's because it's probably easier to switch root and sides, Nginx, than it is to drop privileges. Drop privileges is a very painful thing. You can do it easily. Even in Python, switch, like, ch-rooting is a lot easier within Python, even. Than it is dropping privileges. It's doable, but it's much more complex to do.
1: Yeah, okay. Small aside, whatever you were going to say, ch roots and something else. Jails. BSD uh, yeah. jails. Okay. Yeah. They're well, essentially
0: the same thing. The difference is the BSD jails can be... Different, I don't want to put this, different C implementations, different binary compats, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll phrase it like that. Different bin compats. So, like, for instance, BSD jails can run Linux binaries. Uh, they can run Solaris binaries, I think. Huh.
1: I don't think I knew that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's why you don't see a lot of, like, free BSD users whining that so much stuff is Linux only is because they just run a jail for it. I still think it's hilarious that they have to. <laughs> Sucks to be you guys. But, you know, my point is it's something they do. There is support for this same kind of binary compatibility in the Linux kernel too. It's just disabled because nobody's written stubs for it because we have all the we really have all the native software we need, you know. Like if it's written for FreeBSD, it's it's probably written for Linux too, natively. So we don't really need it is my point. But there are references for it in the Linux kernel, sure. But, yeah, so BSD has... I mean, you can do BSD-CH roots, too, but then it would have to be another BSD installation, you know what I mean? Because it's sharing the kernel at that point. It's not relying on on a compatibility layer.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay.
0: And for the... I guess for the Windows users, we have, what, WSL, the Windows subsystem for Linux?
1: Yeah, I don't know anything about it, so... (laughs) I mean... I've
0: used it, like, once. I haven't. So there's that, there's... I guess you could kind of, no. I don't want to say SIGWIN because it's more more or less an interoper, interoperability layer. It's not a segregation layer. So, but I think I think WSL runs separate from the regular system resources. Yeah, Windows. I don't know. It's I would say Windows is not as geared towards privilege separation as Linux is. You know, probably not. There are. I'm sure there are ways to harden it, but I hesitate to say that the full benefits are there and windows definitely can't do jails like bsd can and it definitely can't do ch roots at all you can't run a windows installation inside windows you know is that natively yeah you can run a vm you can but you can't make them share the host kernel you know got it so you can't and it would need to be like a full system with ch roots you can just drop in provide only the necessary libraries boom done you know they could be very small things in fact, the smaller and the more slim you keep a CH root, the more recommended it is. It literally only needs the libraries that depend dependent upon the app that you're running in that CH root, you know? Yeah. So, so it's something to think about. To my knowledge, there is no way of doing that in Windows. You can't run like a micro Windows inside Windows sharing the same host kernel. What would the closest minimal Windows? Be? I would say Windows PE would be the closest, you know, but that's an entirely different thing. So sure. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Windows admins, if you know of a way to do this to like fully sandbox a separate Windows library installation inside Windows, let me know. I guess it'd be what like running Wine inside Windows, <laughs> right? I guess technically that's what Wine is. Wine is technically a compatibility. It's not an emulator. Ch, it's not an emulator. It's technically a compatibility ch root under Linux for Windows. That's kind of how it works. It has its own root file system that it sees, right? Which is .wine slash drive underscore C or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it runs its own configuration engine, its own sort of registry, basically. You know, it runs all these things. I would say it's closer to a BSD jail. It's like a, a BSD. It's like a Windows BSD jail in Linux is what wine is. So if you need a model for that, that's sort of how that operates. Anyways... I don't know why I brought that up. That has nothing to do with prison separation. That has more to do with compatibility. <laughs> well, you were talking anything.
1: about CH roots and then Yeah, because jail. No, I, I know how I, I, know how I
0: just... got here. I just regret
1: that I got here. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think we can close this out. God with our, damn it, our I'm two... at the bar again. Yeah, seriously. I know how I got here, but I don't really think I should be here. <laughs> but since as as
0: I'm here, I'll have a drink. I don't have to go home, but I can't stay here. So we, I would say we have two more main topics about this. The decentralization slash distribution for
1: separation. Yeah. So what we should really sort of break off and say here a little bit is, well, we spent if, we
0: spent entire episodes on on that last one. Yeah. So right. I'm not, if
1: yeah. if privilege separation is unsuccessful, mm-hmm. at least on a given system, sure. At least by having a distributed environment where you have your MySQL server on hardware A and your web server on hardware B right. and your proxy on hardware C or whatever. That is another form of privilege separation by way of if somebody gains access to your proxy, they don't inherently have shell access on your web server and such. Mm-hmm. So, I
0: mean, you need to be a little bit careful because like if they get access to your web server box, they can grab the MySQL credentials and then, you know, escalate to that MySQL box. But the only thing they'll have access to if you set things up right is MySQL. Now, there have been, you know... There was one exploit for MySQL, I think, maybe a year ago, where you could get root shell access, or at least access with MySQL-level privileges, by just running a, a certain command. If you had, like, a one single directive enabled in your config, in your MySQL config. So, like, there are cases where, like, you don't even want them to have access to MySQL, for instance. But you still have segregated, they don't have root access to the MySQL box. You know, the most they're probably going to get at that point is root access to the web server box if anything at all, beyond that web server user. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, maybe they'll deface your website, whatever. Just restore it from backup, done. I mean, close the hole, obviously, too, but... (laughs) See what I'm getting back in the same way. But, yeah, exactly. So, the hardware privilege separation slash segregation is probably the ultimate way of doing this. I mean, because you can't like it, you you have a lot more flexibility at that level with every layer lever wow with every level up <laughs> of of degree of separation i guess you have more flexibility as to the levels of controls you can implement like you can vlan or straight up ne- like hardware isolate different machines if it's like a hardware privilege separation kind of a thing You know, you have a lot more options at the hardware level. You can implement hardware uh, switching, firewalling, stuff like that, that don't rely on the host itself or perhaps software that would be prone to bugs or ACL policy that may be uh, written poorly. You've got a lot more options the higher up you go, as is true of, say, a VM versus a chroot or a container, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Did you have anything else to talk about for this decentralization distribution or for this topic in general? No, I'm pretty happy with this discussion. I think we talked about some pretty good shit. We we definitely need to go much more in-depth on pseudo at some point. Yeah. Now, to close it out, I did briefly want to mention there are really cool things to sort of virtually do this, such as software controls. Software controls like SE Linux and AppArmor. I am not going to spend as much time on these because we spend entire episodes talking about them. If you want to hear more about SE Linux, you can listen to S1E6. That's Season 1, Episode 6. I'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. And for AppArmor, that is Season 2, Episode 6. Oh,
1: when did we talk about um? You know, GR security?
0: Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's that's the a, a kernel level of hardware security. Uh, not hardware security. Kernel level of privilege separation. I don't remember. I feel like we've all talked right, well, about we'll at least twice. It. We'll link to it in the show notes as well. GR Stack versus PAX versus all the other interesting stuff going on. Yeah. There are many different software controls out there as well. And these are, they're not quite ACLs, which we talk about in S1E6 as well, along with, you know, SE Linux and stuff. They're not quite permissions and groups. They're not quite pseudo. They're definitely below the level of VMs and jails and CH roots and stuff or I guess technically above some CH root share kernels. But, you know, they're a different type of implementing these sort of protections because they don't rely on can you do this, yes or no. It's not role-based. It is based on the operation. What, yeah. what are you trying to do? And is that allowed for this context? You know, it's a, it's a contextual kind of thing. It's much more robust. Between sudo and selinux slash app armor, I think you'd have a fairly impenetrable box.
1: Impenetrable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I hesitate to say perfectly secure because it doesn't exist. But you're going to make it extremely difficult for everyone, including TLAs, yeah, to get in. If you implement just those two things: se Linux and sudo, proper sudo setups.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: I we think need that's to hurry it. For the topic. I'm getting
1: hungry, and I really think I'd like to make some macaroni and cheese, man.
0: <laughs> and I'm getting sweaty. What? I, and you,
1: you know what you need to do. You, you need to
0: well, that. But also after we end the episode, you remember what you have to do. You have to talk to the thing about. Uh, you have to talk to the guy about the thing. Can I eat on the thing? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're I, not my real a dad. If you can, <laughs> well, you don't know that. If you can finish eating <laughs> before the remind. This spot reminder. He reminded us during this. He did.
1: Yeah, it's only 10 ten twenty. I also tweeted about it <laughs> from the podcast <laughs> account.
0: <laughs> oh, lovely. All right, well, I guess I'll add a new reminder.
1: Yeah, so why don't you take us into the baddie, J-Thon? All right, yeah, let's talk about the baddie. So, the baddie this week is interesting because of uh, what we were just talking about a little mm-hmm. bit. So, as it turns out, there is a zero-day present in VirtualBox. That's lovely. The vulnerability details and an exploit are publicly available. VirtualBox is a... It, it is a hypervisor, its own hypervisor, right? VirtualBox? Yeah. Yeah, maintained by Oracle. Mm-hmm. It is open source, though, and freely available. Mm-hmm. It's pretty popular. I understand why. It's easy to use. It's very intuitive for people who, you know, don't want to roll. It's cross-platform. It's cross-platform. That's right. the
0: biggest selling point for me, is this. Uh,
1: but in any case, this Russian researcher basically found that a security bug can be leveraged on virtual machines configured with the Intel Pro 1000 MT desktop network adapter in NAT mode. The default setup that allows the guest system to access external networks. Basically, anybody who has root or admin privileges in a guest can escape to the host Ooh. in a way that can, they can leverage existing attacks to basically gain access to it. So I'm not going to go into wait a whole to the lot host
0: of... or to traverse through the host adapter to the parent. No, no, to the host. Ooh, wow.
1: Yeah. So That's they can bad. basically. In his test, he leveraged it to read data from the guest OS into a heap buffer and caused an overflow condition that led to overriding function pointers and caused stack overflows on the host. As we know, this could potentially lead to privilege escalation and mm-hmm. execution of arbitrary commands and shit like that. Yep. There's basically two conditions that have to be met to do this, but they're both pretty easy to attain given the right circumstances.
0: They're and not the default. It's,
1: they're not the default, no. But
0: well, that is, but not, I believe, the, the, the adapter 1000 yeah probably not. virtual yeah i don't think that's the default so
1: in any case though yeah. props to this guy for finding it mm-hmm. i don't really know how he disclosed it so i don't know if it's necessarily the most responsible but <laughs> in any case i imagine we'll see a fix for this fairly soon and so why why is this a baddy Thon? primarily because anytime you have a virtual machine that can access mm-hmm. the host it kind of defeats the purpose of using a virtual machine if the purpose of your virtual machine is for security and service and privilege Which separation and isolation. Probably
0: nine times out of ten, it would be because that's yes. why you're choosing it over a container. Yeah. Yeah. So that's but also, if, you know, but if it's you're also VirtualBox. Yeah. So you know, if
1: most people use yeah. VirtualBox for like personal use, not really like in a production setting, I would say. Yeah,
0: for like developers and stuff. Right.
1: So, you know, if this were VMware or KVM, it'd be a bigger deal because, of course, once you have access to the host, you can also fuck with every other VM. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a huge organization with 500 VMs, that's a very large deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So in any case, it is bad. It's good to keep these things in mind when we talk about using virtualization technology because there's a lot of benefits to it, but there are some drawbacks like this. Mm -hmm. And when it happens, it's important to take care of it pretty quickly and do everything you can to mitigate. Yep. So in this case, unless you have to use that specific network adapter for some reason, a very easy workaround would just be to use a different network adapter. (laughs) There you you go. And this has been Jathan telling you how to make your life better. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right, so that's yeah. No, I, I'm torn about that honestly,
0: because like on one hand it's VirtualBox, and like I know it maybe I think I have heard like it's possible to run VirtualBox headless and stuff, and it's even easier in more recent versions. Yeah, but I can think of maybe one company I've heard of actually using VirtualBox in production really? over the past eight years, and I don't think they do it anymore. Okay, so I, you know, obviously there's a limited scope to this baddie, but. It's bad news bears.
1: <laughs> bad news bears. The whole point you're means...
0: running a VM. Like, I know a lot of security research- researchers run VMs, right? For their, for their yep. malware analysis. Uh-huh. So, this is probably... Maybe don't use virtual bugs. <laughs> yeah.
1: I have to imagine if you're a... Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that security researchers are really using virtual logs
0: Some. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't... I would say most of them use consumer-level VMware for yeah. their research. Okay. But... I would not be surprised at all if VirtualBox was in the mix at a non-negligent amount. Negligent? Not negligent. What's the word I'm looking for?
1: Nominal. Non-non-non-non-nominal You're trying to say that people use it. At a significant amount, yes. Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, so it's definitely there, I think. Because, like I said, it's the only hypervisor, full hypervisor that is cross-platform. Right. Uh, Well, I mean, there's VMware, but fuck VMware. You know, like <laughs> VMware Player, I think is the free one,
1: right? I don't even know, man. I don't. Yeah, there's there's, there's I a avoid free that version, shit like the Plague. So and
0: it, well, exactly. It's it's a mess. It's terrible. So most people go with VirtualBox, I think, for and it's cross-platform, so it's good for the developers. I use it as a backend for uh, Vagrant for work. Yeah, for Vagrant, exactly. But I. Don't have this set up, you know. I don't. I don't use the the
1: E one thousand adapter. Apparently now you can, depending what you're doing with Vagrant, of course. But you can just use LXC as a backend.
0: Yeah, no, you've always been able to do that. The problem is, it's not cross platform.
1: Oh, right.
0: LXC is literally Linux containers. Yeah. So like, I've yeah, got people right. running Mac OS and Windows, and I it can't. it depends what your
1: goal for using exactly, is. Yes. exactly. Yeah. Forgive my ignorance, friends. <laughs> Well, you recognized your error, and you corrected it. Yes, I have found the error in my ways, I've taken steps to correct my actions, I will never make that mistake again, and I do it for the fucking fans.
0: <laughs> right. That's it. So, I think that's, that's been trivia. <laughs> I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. And Payton has been with like us. Good night. See you around.